Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am a story career consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. I am absolutely thrilled to have with me as my guest today, Liz Friedman. Let me tell you a little bit about Liz. Liz Friedman grew up in Boston as the daughter of four psychiatrists. Her parents divorced and remarried other psychiatrists. I love that. Um, Somehow she emerged relatively intact and graduated from Wesleyan University in 1991 with a degree in sociology and her thesis on feminists and class representation in slasher films in hand. She came out to L.A. and was soon hired by her old idol, Sam Raimi, as his assistant. She worked as Raimi's and his partner Rob Tappert's company, Renaissance Pictures, for eight years, ultimately rising to the rank of president of television, supervising such hits as Hercules, Xena, Warrior Princess, and Young Hercules. Eventually, she switched her focus to being a writing producer. After being hired by David Shore as a staff writer on Hack, she went on to work on Numbers and the OC before joining the staff of House MD, where she has been for the past seven years. She is currently executive producing the upcoming Women in Prison show, Orange is the New Black, with Weeds creator Genji Cohen. Is it Genji? Genji. Genji Cohen, yeah, uh, which will be streaming on Netflix sometime in 2013. She lives in Hancock Park with her partner of 18 years and two sons, 11 months and six years. Welcome. Hi. Wow. I don't know what gas bag wrote that bio, but... uh... I could have I left a few things out now no, that I think about it. No, 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 no. We love it all. We love it all. I especially love the start with the four psychiatrists. Yes. What was that like? Tell me about that. It was, um, well, you know, at the time, I thought it was completely normal, right. as all, as all children do. Had. That's yeah. right. I yeah. thought <clears throat> all children were afraid to tell their parents anything <laughs> for fear of what the analysis right. would be. Right. Um you know, I think it absolutely uh, has informed. I mean, for, first of all, for a long time, I wanted to be a psychiatrist because I thought that was the only job that existed. Right. Um, right. But, you know, it a, a, as long as I can remember, I've been looking at, you know, how people act and why they do what they do and what's the motivation and what's the empathetic perspective right. on that. Right. Um, and, you know, there's nothing too crazy to talk about. But I love that, even though you tapping on something like the empathetic perspective, because that's such a huge part of story. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. You know, bad, yeah. bad guys. I mean, one of my mottos has always been, you know, assholes don't know they're assholes. Right. That's why they're assholes. Right. <laughs> So that, you know, anytime you write a bad yes. guy in a script, yeah. that person does not think they're a bad guy. Yeah. 
I always say, you know, it's fascinating when you think about characters, when you think about how the character views themselves versus how the world views the character. Right. And what the contrast is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you draw from your, your childhood memories with a show like House? Um, because of the medical aspect. Because the medical and the aspect. Character. Yeah, I think, well, I certainly, I, I draw from it in that I uh, often find myself on the phone with my sister, who uh, is also a psychiatrist oh now. Oh, my God, that's and, hysterical. And runs the, the psych ER at Mass General. I love that. Yeah, so I'm calling her going, okay, so this kind of liver failure. Right. Um, and... Uh, you know, but I think, I mean, obviously House is about a guy, who, you know, he's a guy who is very narcissistic yes. and, you know, has a really distinct way of engaging the world and he's got his own outlook and, you know, to be able to step fully into that. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I think that's part of how therapists help their patients. And yeah. I think it's how, how writers engage their characters. Yeah. Yeah, but it is, it's fascinating to me because I feel like so many executives, and you come from the executive world, like you feel at points in your career like you're a psychiatrist like you're or a psychologist. Yes. Yeah, and so, right. you right. know, so it it is a fascinating thing of thinking the link in people's stories. Right. In And really understanding people and character and stories. So I, I think... That actually, like, probably put you way ahead of the game in ways that you didn't realize when you were a child. Right. But probably has surfaced as yeah. a writer. And I always definitely, when I was an executive and, you know, meeting writers, I mean, I tend to believe that I tend to believe everybody's crazy. Right. Uh, I think that most writers are crazy right um and i don't mean crazy is a bad thing necessarily so right. like was as an executive what i was always trying to figure out is is it a kind of crazy i can work with right um i love that yeah you know yeah and, and is it and what is the level what is the <laughs> yeah. level what's the and what's the variety yes um does it going to work with your kind of crazy or not right um right i and, love that and paying attention to the uh to the vibe right that you got yeah how did you feel? How do you feel being an executive influenced you as a writer? Because my God, you went all the way to the top as an executive. Do you feel like it prepared you in an incredible way? Do you feel like it made it more difficult transition-wise, or it made it easier? Well, I think it was a it was a difficult transition, but I think that wasn't because I was an executive. I right. think it was because I was incredibly young in the craft of writing right and I hadn't been writing right. I've been doing now what it what it did for me is that I was in because of how Renaissance worked I was in all of the story meetings right. on Hercules Xena and young Hercules mm -hmm. I was you know had this level of involvement um, and it was doing that that got me to think okay, maybe I should write good and it was actually the writers who I was working with who were saying, you should write, you should write. Yeah. Now, they may well have just wanted a chance to give me notes right. after having to take <laughs> all of the right. shit that I had shoveled right. their way um, over the years. But that, uh, it gave me that exposure. I don't, you know, I didn't want to be a writer coming right. into this, to this business. And I was very reluctant. I, 
as an executive, when I would meet other people who weren't writers and maybe would have written, say, one script or something and would say, I'm a writer. Right. I thought, no, you're not. Right. You're, no, that's not fair. Don't say, you know, it's like if I if I hold the boom once, do I get to say I'm a grip? You right. know, I mean, that's just, that's not um, that's not OK. Right. Uh, and I think I just got my sound and my light terminology wrong. But um you know, so I was always very didn't want to go there saying right. that I that I was a writer. I think it's I think I was doing it for about a year and a half before I was willing to call myself that. Right. Um, and uh, so it gave me an exposure to story. I, I realized that I loved story and and it taught me how production worked. Right. Um, which I think has been incredibly useful. Right. Um, and I knew what the other side of the equation was in terms of what buyers want. Right. Um, and what they need and and why executives are asking these sometimes annoying questions. Right. That they're asking. Yeah. I get why they're doing it and I know what that job is. And right. it is not it's not an easy job. Right. Um doesn't mean I always like the notes, right. but I try to be. Has it made it easier for you hearing the notes, knowing where it's coming from, or has it frustrated you even more? <laughs> I think it has made it easy, and right. I have a certain way. You know, I believe that it's important to have a TV guide logline right. on a story. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that a really great story should be so much more complicated than what that log line, you know, ultimately right. that there are nuances and levels right. and, and degrees. But I do think that, you know, having something clean and clear that it is. Right. That I you agree can you say, 100%. It, and when you don't have that. Right. Sometimes you'll find yourself and you're in the middle of an outline or a scene. And if you're getting lost, mm -hmm. it's because you don't have your story. Yeah. You know, you don't have that and a log line organizes it all with complete clarity if it's done well and right. tells you where you're going so you have your audience I always tell writers when you're pitching like pitch a series log line and then a pilot log line which isn't a log line of the a story going into the series right. because then your audience has a clear sense they know where you're going. They're right. not waiting for half your pitch for you get to get to the hook right. of what you want to say. Right. Yeah. So no, it was totally actually a great that. thing that because also my mentor who right. got me into TV in the first place, right. even as an executive, was uh, David Ike. Oh wow! Who's another, yeah, David's you know, great. Executive who's yeah. become a writer now. Oh, I forgot about that. That's yeah. Right. And so I was his assistant. Yeah. After I was Sam's assistant, then right. I was David's assistant. How great. And when I first started, I moved into writing, and I was pitching to him, actually, when right. he was at USA. And he said, look, the thing to remember is the executive you're pitching to, they have to pitch it to their boss. Right. They want, first of all, they want you to give them something that is good right. to pitch to their boss. Right. And then they want it in little bits right. that they can turn around and pitch again yeah they want to access simplicity to right. be able to grab it and go okay instead of because so many people will say do you leave your pitch sheet at a pitch right yeah yeah and that's a tricky thing yeah. you know i mean i it would is. say only if it's a really reductive right thing. and frankly do you trust your executive yes uh, yeah 
But, you know, it's like that was a, gave me a great way to think about it is that what I'm giving them are highlights for them to bring to their boss. Right. Um, and, and, uh, and making sure you don't have more than that because it's almost like if you have more than that, people say the danger in leaving the sheet right. is suddenly the boss could say, I don't like this part of blah, I never blah, blah. like squids. Yeah. Yes. Why are they Why are they breaking into a place yes. and sell squids? Yes. You know, my son had a horrible thing with the squid. And, right, right. Um, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that should not be on your pitch sheet. Right. But, you know, the there's a caper. Right. Are you out there pitching now? I am not. No. I am lucky enough that I do not have to be because wow. I have my next gig lined okay. up. Okay. And we are de- we're going oh. to absolutely jump into that because I feel like it's a new platform for storytelling and mm. I definitely am excited to get into that. Um, all right. So let's say tell us. About your experience. So starting, you knew Ramey, is it, what was the name again? Sam? Uh, yeah. Sam Ramey. You knew him in college? No, what, actually, he, re- what happened was I had my thesis. Right. I, I came out to L.A. Right. And I was obsessed with Evil Dead. I right. Mean, I remember, I, well, actually, Evil Dead 2 was the first thing I remember watching in my living room at college at Wesleyan. I came out here. I had my thesis. I sent a copy to Sam Raimi. I right. sent a copy to Roger Corman. Right. And I sent a copy to uh, Wes Craven. Wow. And I got calls. Did I get calls back from every... I got a call back from Wes Craven's producer. Right. And I got a call from Sam's development person. Right. Um, I went and worked for Sam for a week for free. They didn't have anything for me. I went off and did what everyone told me I was supposed to do, which is I was going to be an assistant at Triad. Right, uh, right. When Triad as yes, an agency still I existed. I was going to be on Nicole David's second desk. Right, right. And I was there about two days, and they called me and said, Sam needs an assistant tomorrow. And I thought, but it's less money, and it, there's no insurance, and I can't. And I talked to someone I was lucky enough to be friends with at the agency who right. said, are you crazy? Right. Like, this is what you want. I, you know, he said, I want to be an agent. You don't want to be an agent. Right. Go do it. Yeah. That, that was great advice. That was great advice. Really great advice. Yes. Thank and I think you. it's a dilemma so many people are in at the beginning of security versus right. freelancing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you have to truly think, what do I want? You got to think, what yeah. do you want? You got to... You gotta, Run after that. Mm-hmm. And um, this is very easy to say now, but it is the way that I've always operated, which is the money will come. Yeah. Do what you love and the money will follow yep. and be great at it. Yep. Yeah. I, I know. I totally agree. And then, and then that said, whatever job you take, if you have to take a job for another reason. Right. Whatever job you take, that is the job you love. Right. Be good at that. Yeah. I nobody agree. nobody has signed a contract with you and your bad attitude. Yeah. That's excellent advice. It is. And I think, you know, when I look at the fact that you rose through the ranks and covered shows that gave you a strong sense of story and probably even honed the idea of, like, you came out here with a thesis and knew that creating something was going to be part of your journey clearly to have the confidence to send it to these people like even Sam Raimi like did he feel like he was holding you back by putting you in an executive position knowing that you you had a thesis that that 
I would imagine yelled creator type I thing. Think, I mean, I didn't when I started. I you did, didn't have a definition. I didn't of have what a definition, and yeah. I didn't. I really didn't think I wanted to write. Right. Um, you know, I, that was really something I had thought so it was about. Just to get your foot in the door. It was to get my yeah. foot in the door. Right. Um, I wanted to rule the world. Right. I mean, don't get right. me wrong. I like, love that. Coming I, out of Wesleyan, though, I've, there have been a lot of great writers come out of that school. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have a very powerful alumni. I feel like I staffed many writers from Wesleyan. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. But I really wanted, you know, I um, I thought I was going to produce features. Yeah. And that was sort of what I was headed for. Right. Which you could have after that job. So take me into the experience of... The last day of being a president of a production company and then moving into the first day of being in a writer's room. Well, it helped that I had been in that same writer's room in a different role right. for a long time. Right. Um, so that part of it was... Uh, that was, was that hack? That was David Shore? Was that the first one? Well, or? no. I mean, I was on... I did write for Hercules and oh, Xena a little right. bit. That's so. Right. So I had that right. sort of uh, sort of under my belt, um, and you know the being in a writer's room, that never threw me because part of the reason I had been drawn to it is that, in fact, when I was an executive, I was basically the equivalent of a current executive. Right. 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 Which, as you know, as yes. you know, as I know, it's a little bit less. Yes. You yes. know, it's like yes. okay, the upper class the creator. <laughs> is the development. development. <laughs> yeah. So I was basically doing current, and right. then I had a shot to go do development. Right. I didn't like development. Right. Because I didn't get to spend as much of I my agree day. With you. In, I totally agree with you. In a room with writers. Yeah. You know, that's what I loved. Yeah. I couldn't let go of a project. That was, I don't yeah. like having lunch yeah. with yeah. other executives. Right. Like, right. You like writers. I like writers. <laughs> yes, um, I'm with you. And so I made that move, and then I realized I don't want that move. Yeah. And I couldn't see myself at a studio. Right. I couldn't see myself at a network. Yeah. So to some extent... I was drawn to it because I didn't know what the next job was going to be Yeah. if I didn't figure out how to write. Right. I couldn't figure out how to be in the world that I really loved Yeah. if I didn't learn how to do the thing that those other people yeah. in that world did. Right. So in a weird way, it was sort of backing into the profession. It was yes. not It was not a love of writing as much as it is a love of writers. Yeah. Um, oh, I like that. You know, which is also why I don't really understand feature writing. Mm-hmm. It, in the, it, that doesn't draw me. Right. The, because of the isolation. Right. And the, yeah. Sitting in a room by myself yeah. with a computer, I want to blow my brains right. out most of the time. Right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, to me, TV is the thing. I think that is fantastic. So it's like you were going through one to get to the true calling. Right. And I think it was learning valuable tools along the way. Um, now going into, why don't we start with house and then we'll move backwards. Um, so writing-wise, let's start with house. Um, so I know house is filming its last episode. It right is now, right now. As we speak, Yes. Said. That's Wow. So tell me, you've been on there seven years. What was the evolution of that arc? 
like looking at your first day compared to now? Um, well, when I started, right. I was, I mean, I was so thrilled to be coming on to that show. I'd, I'd, Amazing. I'd worked with David before. Yeah. Love David. I remember reading the pilot for House. Yeah. And just calling him and quelling. Like, right. And I was so proud of him. Right. Uh, you know, because, and he and I had worked together on Hack. And right. He basically, as he would admit, was fired before we went on the air. Right. Um, and then I continued on. Part that. of being a TV writer. Part of being a <laughs> yeah. TV writer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I was so excited to get to come to work on this, and I was working with him, and I was working with my friend Larry Kaplow, who was also on Hack Larry's with me, great. and yeah. Tommy Moran. Yeah. And uh, wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a bunch of us who had all been on right. Hack right. together. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and and very quickly realizing that this show was so good. And everybody on this staff was so good that I was not going to walk into this place and be able to be a star. Right. Um, and that was That's really intimidating. That's interesting. I like that. That's honest. In looking at, because you had worked with these guys on Hack, you were newer than, so these guys were a few years Yeah, they ahead were, they were the ahead process. of me, and, and I was yeah. a staff writer. Yeah. And, and Hack was a show that was, because it was a little bit of a disaster right. at the beginning, right. it was a great place to be a staff writer. Right. We were, you know, I was writing scenes on every episode. Oh, I love it. I was, we were there until two in the morning. Right. Um, and at that point in my life, there was nothing better. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. that was terrific to be able to be that involved and feel vital and a part right. of things. Right. Um, and uh, House was a, was already a pretty well-tuned machine. Hit. Yeah. By the time I, yeah, it had just started to be a hit. Right. Um, it was just cl becoming clear, like, oh, this is, you know, not only is this a great show, but this is a show that people are into. I agree. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was... Uh, but I could imagine that would be intimidating for anyone, just like numbers. Like, I remember coming into numbers as an executive, and, you know, I came from 12 and a half years at spelling. And right. the procedural that I had done was 10-8, I think was probably it. You know, so it, it was coming into a show where the idea of numbers solving crime, I think it was the hardest show any of us had worked on, executive and writer-wise, you know. so When I was writing for numbers, right. I would frequently not understand my own research. Right. right. And I would be on the phone with someone. I was on the phone for one script I did with a seismic expert. Right. And I would get. I was okay. I understood what he was saying. And then he started the second sentence. Yeah. And then it was, <laughs> I, I was just like, I, I'm sorry. I can't, I don't, my brain, my brain and math right. do not go that I get way. It. And in a, and there's a weird way in which medicine just makes a lot more sense yeah. to me. Um, so, I, and, and so I think it was almost good for you coming off of numbers going into house. Right. Because it and and yet and having the medical background, psychiatry wise, and an interest in that area, knowing the complex characters and the the conditions, the mental conditions you were dealing with with 
some of these characters. Right. I think it, you know, I, you know what you said that really I think uh, attests to your background, the fact that you called David Shore and told him how much you loved the show, the fact that you had the confidence to just be like, I'm going to let this, sh- this showrunner know how much I love and am proud of what he's doing right. and let him know how much I love the show like that. You have to do that. You in have business. to do that. And you have to, you know, and especially because I, frankly, you know, I was there with David when when a not nice right. professional thing right. happened to him. Right. Which is also, frankly, a really important tip, I think, which is. Obviously, when something great happens to somebody you know, you call them and you say congratulations. And when something really bad happens to them, you call them. I agree. Yes, you that's great. Call them Advice. because I will tell you, I have had you know when I when I left Renaissance, it was a tricky departure right. for me, and there were a, and and there were a lot of people who just didn't call me. Right, and then the and the people who did. I will remember forever. I agree. (laughs) I agree. You know, it's interesting. I remember an old boss of mine when I first got promoted to vice president of current at CBS Paramount. He said to me, and it sounded so cynical at the time, but I so fully understood it on my last day of work. He said, never mistake the chair you're sitting in, people being friends with you because of the chair. Right. Like, be able to separate what are friends because of who you are and who who are your friends because of the chair you're sitting in right. and never do you see that more clearly than when you leave when the you chair when you leave the chair that's right when you leave the chair yeah. and, and all you have to say yes. even in a complicated situation is yes. all you have to say to somebody is i'm sorry that happened yes. i'm sorry how it worked I out i agree you don't have that's to it. take any sides i agree well and i think i mean it's a good thing for us to talk about i mean because i i've interviewed, I remember I had one writer on on this podcast who said he had been fired from every job he ever had, and he was an executive producer. And what I loved about that candor and honesty-wise was talent will win out. And just because you're not a right fit for certain shows doesn't mean you're not a great writer. Right. It just means you're not a right fit for certain shows. shows. Yeah. Yeah. It's really... It's so incredibly subjective, yeah, which is a really hard thing to believe as a writer because right. you have to, on the one hand, when you're going at a story, you can't second guess yourself excessively, and you right. have to have a, a a thing in your gut that you speak that you stick with, right. And yet, uh, what's become clear to me as I've worked on a bunch of different shows is the thing that is good writing right. is completely subjective. Yes. Now, I think there, there are, you know, it's like I think that clearly David Shore delivers something that a lot of people think is good writing. Right. And I think, and I agree with him. Right. Um, but, you know, the the people whose shows I've worked on that that weren't as close to what I wanted to do, they're no less convinced. Right. They're no less sure that that's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's that that's true, because I think especially in the sheltered world of the house staff, which has been many of the same people all the way through. Right. It is going to be fascinating. Now, I think I did see someone got a big overall deal from house was a friend and learner. Friend and learner. Yeah. Yeah. 
so it's like I look at that and I think, okay, it is going to be fascinating because my feeling is, as a former executive, looking at the staff of all you incredible writers that sustained this brilliant show for as long as you did and made stories as fresh and compelling as they were to keep bringing people back and having like a cult following. Like I look at that and I, I, I would think as a development executive, I'd be like, I want one of those people. Like I, and it really is. And I can imagine that must be terrifying though, too, for some, because you're leaving the nest. And now it's not about you being under somebody else's vision. Right. It's about what do you want to yes. do? Yeah. 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 I think it's interesting. I mean, I think we've all been there long enough so that we're all we're all sort of ready for the next thing. I agree. Uh, yeah. But there then there I is mean, I agree. I there would is imagine. that there yeah. is that weirdness of uh you know, I know my friends on the show right now, you know, everybody's out having meetings right now. And it's yeah. the thing of walking into the room, the waiting room and there's your buddy from next door. Yes. And <laughs> I, I'm really glad I am not. Uh, You've got your that. secure direction. So yes. that is great. All right. Well, with that, we are going to take our first break. And we are going when we come back, I do want to go a little further in the house because. I just think it's such an enormous show and and huge success. So I want to get a little bit more into how the writer's room worked and the political dynamics and all that fun stuff. Um, We are here with Liz Friedman of House, and this is Jen Grisanti. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Liz Friedman of House, and we are going to jump into it more. So when you started on House, you were staff level? I was a co-producer. Oh, my gosh, that's right, because you had been on other shows before then. Good for you. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, what? well, then go, you mentioned the idea of feeling a little intimidating going into the room. This is actually a very good question. Like, even when you're any level other than the creator or showrunner, what is your understanding and, and what would you advise to writers going into a writer's room as far as knowing what the job is? You know, the thing that I figured out and it and it took me really a couple years on house and I owe David Shore a huge amount that he was so patient with me because actually it's interesting you know I had like we talked about I came from a medical background in right. a sense in that it was my family and when I started on house I was very concerned about the medicine right and I was always trying to hold on to the integrity of right. the medicine. Right. Now, David's attitude is, I don't care about the medicine. Right. And, but I sort of thought, well, I should, you know, I should stand up for that. And then I I realized that that's wrong. Right. <laughs> that that's completely and utterly wrong. Right. In that your only job when you were on staff, or that's not, it's not true. It's not that it's it's your only job. It's that your ultimate job is to make your showrunner's life easier. Right. 
do what they want you to do. Right. Now, which sounds incredibly obvious. Right. Um, and maybe I'm But a, a lot of people don't understand it. It's hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, I get it in the sense of that you have to be, you have to get what you're writing to be able to write it. Right. But within that, you know, what I would encourage people to do is that if you have a good showrunner, they don't want to rewrite you. Right. You know, it is more work for them. Right. Your job is to get their voice, get their ideas. And what's great about David is you'll hand him a draft and he will spend, you know, there are times when I spent close to an entire day in his office. Right. Um, you know, with some YouTube breaks. Right. Uh, and him going down for rehearsals. But we would spend a good chunk of a day going over a script. Right. Um and him saying, this is what I want the scene to be. Right. And, you know, and then, and especially as our relationship developed, what I would, is I could say to him, okay, I don't get that. Right. Or, well, here's what I was trying to do. And he'd say, oh, well, if you want to do that. Right. Then it's this, this, and this. Right. Um, and what's great about David That's is that great. he can, he really knows exactly what he wants. Right. Um, and then do that right do that right and the fact is is that i never you know he even does a thing where when we do our rewrites you're in the room with him right he puts it up on a dual monitor right in at his desk and you never feel rewritten oh that's because great. you're there right for every change right which then and the reason he does it that way is because then you're on set with your script right and when, you understand why the change was made and what the intention is behind exactly. the Exactly. Yeah. And when Hugh Laurie says to Great. you, I don't get this. Right. You say, well. This is what was meant. Right. Yeah. That is, I love that. But yeah. that's like a true leader. And I think that, it, and everybody has their different styles. Like the, I always say to writers, like, my hope is that writers who are fortunate enough to create longevity, climb the ranks, and right. eventually run their own show is that all along the way they are taking notes of what works for them and what doesn't work for them. Right. And instead of mimicking the bad behavior, remembering what worked in a positive way. Right. Yeah. And choosing to mimic that. Um, I think now as far as – so there was no writer's room. on. There for, was no writer's room. We would do a couple weeks of meetings at the beginning of the year and – figuring out what our sort of character arcs were. Mm -hmm. Everybody would pitch their A stories. Right. Um, and uh, and then we would sort of end up matching up, you know, the character thing. Okay, this is going on with House. I think I'd love to put my patient, you know, with no feet with right. that because there's right. this thematic link right. will happen. Right. So then those matches sort of get made. You find right. out where you are in the order. Right. And then... People go off and start working on their stuff. There are some people who really would go in a room and do it all by themselves. Right. People who would, you know, have a loose idea of their story, get four people in, in the into room. their room yeah. and go, okay, guys, help me. So each person would kind out. of form their own mini room. Yeah. yeah. I like you know, that. Or that I, you sort yeah. of, as it went along, it's like, oh, that guy, he's so good at clarity. Right. You know, there was one writer on staff yeah. who just is the yeah. master, and I tend to have too many doodads on right. my stuff. Right. So, like, if I could get it by, you know, Peter Blake, who is right. the master, yes. you know, the yeah. master of structure. Right. If it, if it was clean enough for him. Right. 
then it was clean enough. Right. Um, I like that. Yeah. You can appreciate each other's strengths. Right, or this this yeah. story feels a little flat, and I need it to be funnier. Right. Okay, now I'm going to call, you know, I'm going to call Sarah Hessen. Right. And she's going to help me right. with that. Right, right. You exploit everybody for what See, they're good at. but I think that's such a huge piece of advice. It It is recognizing that you are not alone in this process and knowing when to ask for help and knowing that that doesn't make you a weaker writer. I actually think it makes you a stronger writer. Yeah. I mean, we had a couple people who came on, you know, people over the years at House, and there were a couple of people who really tried to do it on their own. And it was really hard for them. And some of them were not successful. Right. And I honestly think it was because they weren't, you know, the rest of us are running around and in each other's business all the time. Right. And, you know, other writers can be really helpful. Yes. And even if you're not on a staff and you're working on it, you know, like when I was doing my specs, I had a writer's group I went right. to every week. Right. Um, and we would just beat the crap out of each other's material. When you were on the show. So see, I, I actually, love this. You know what? I, I stopped about my fourth year of House. Right. Because it simply was clear that I was never writing anything besides House. Right. I never had any time. Right. And... But even the first four years, having a writing group support-wise, yes. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it gives you someone to say, you know, it's, it is the, is the problem that your scene needs three more polishes? Right. Or is the problem that you're writing the wrong scene? Right. Right. Cause there's and a- having a sounding board has a huge benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think that, yeah. I, again, I think that is great, great advice. With the characters on House, who do you identify with the most? Well, let's see. Identify with. I'm not sure I identify with Who do you enjoy writing the most? Yeah, okay. Well, that's easy. Because <laughs> uh, they're such a messed up yes. bunch. Right. Um, you know, House writing for House and Wilson yeah. is the is the most fun right. ever. Right. Uh, they're just such idiots i mean they're so they're they're like the smartest idiots you've ever encountered right in your life and right they're just so intractably who they are and i love the contradiction in wilson that um you know my theory on, on him has always been he is just simply not as nice as people think he is right or he would not be friends with house right you know right, he's right. somebody who walks yeah. and and you know a lot of it is what's required of him as an on- oncologist but he he has a humanity, he, but he doesn't like that that much. It's not that fun. Right. You know, what's what's really fun is, um, you know, finding out if you can keep a chicken in the hospital. Right. Overnight. Right. Um, so I like, and it lets, it. they're so immature. Yeah. Um, that would be fun to write. It's really fun. Yeah, I like that. I like that. What would you say, now going into your new venture, which we'll go into next, what do you think you learned the most about in seven years on House as far as story? Wow. Um, it's almost hard to say what I didn't learn. Right. Uh, because I am so much of a better writer than I was when I started. Um, gosh, what did... What David does and what David insists on is that it be clean and simple. Yeah. And that if what I'm a, become a huge believer in is does it need to be in the script? 
Right. Can the story yes. function without it? I agree. If the story can, right, then it should not be in the script. Right. Now, and you can do then you can deal with that a bunch of different ways. Right. Like sometimes there may just be a scene that is too too fantastic just from a there was an episode I wrote with Sarah Hess, and the basic idea that was hers was that the patient was a video game designer. Right. And you open in the video game. Right. Um, and then in the middle, we wanted to go have our, and it's like full motion avatars. Right. And she had this great goofy idea, which is then in the middle of it, our doctors go to search the place and they end up playing the video game. So you get to see 13 as a chimpanzee, Olivia Wilde basically as a chimpanzee with a gigantic gun. Right. And Taub, who's Peter Jacobson, right. as uh, a lizard. Right. You know, and right. it's them talking it. and yeah. having like meta dialogue about a character issue as the characters. Right. And she had this idea and we had it and we sort of had it in the outline and then I looked at it and went, well, it's not... There's no medical. They don't find anything right. in that right. right now. So basically, then then we took the whole medical storyline and jerry-rigged it around I there being it. a piece of medical information that is found in that scene. So the plot was moving forward and not just having a great scene about character dynamics. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's like you can, mm -hmm. you know, every, and that's the other thing is like just don't don't ever be afraid to play God. Right. You can change everything. Yes. You know, it's Don't like, be so attached to it. Don't be so yeah. attached to it. Don't ever repeat information. Right. Um, you know, I, I used to yeah, sort of have this note. thing of like, well, but you would ask about You'd walk into the room and you'd ask about that. Yeah. Guess what? They're not asking about it. Right. Either you, if if you can't buy that they don't ask, right. start the scene after it. Right. Or they're just not going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like it. All right, so now your next show is Orange is the New Black with Gingy Cohen. How did that come to be? Um, that came to be because Gingy and I are friends and we're um, thinking about wanting to work together. Mm -hmm. um, she suggested it. I said, great. And then we were talking about what we wanted to work on. And I knew, let's see, what did I, she and I had had one meeting. I knew she was sort of interested in that book. Right. And thinking about maybe getting the rights. So I went and read the book. Right. And then I ran into her at a party or something and said, that, I love that book. Right. And she said, oh, I got the rights on Friday. Let's do that. So, wow. Yeah. And then how did Netflix come into that? Netflix came into that. We had, we pitched it a couple other places uh, for cable hadn't sold it the um house of games deal went through with netflix right i thought you know we both thought well we have got to get over there i mean they, they're making that's a serious deal right like, that's a serious way in and we went in there had you know if i ever have a meeting this good again uh in my career it'll be a miracle wow halfway through it became clear they were sort of pitching us right on why we would want to come to netflix right um right and uh and that's what we're doing wow so now explain to me like what that means as far as like studio versus network versus netflix so do they have an executive who's going to have their hands in the creative process as far as note giving and all that i mean part of what they said to us in our pitch right. was you know look we don't know 
how to make TV. Right. You guys seem to. We're not going to give you notes. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was, uh, you know, I mean, it's what writers yes, dream of, of hearing. Of course. And, and they bought 13 episodes. Oh, my God. No pilot. That's fantastic. So, that is unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Uh, and it's, what's the budget like? It's pretty. The budget is totally reasonable. Is it? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. in comparison to a regular pilot, it's it's in there. Right. Good. Well, and it's also you know the thing about pilot budgets is part of the reason they are so inflated yes. is there's no amort. Yeah. In it. Yes. Um, you know. And now you know. Right. Right. right? Now you're not. You know. Yes. We're not. We're not building it's a, a different business a model. Prison. Right. That's yeah. right. I mean, it's yeah. really a much more sensible. Business model, right? I love that. Can you tell us the concept of the show then? The concept is uh, it's based on a book written uh-huh. by Piper Kerman, which and it's a memoir. Right. She is basically a really fascinating woman who graduated from Smith probably around early nineties, mm-hmm. um, and uh, was involved with a woman who was a drug dealer. Right. And she. Went over to Thailand with her and was hanging out and flew some money for her girlfriend on a couple of flights. Right. And then realized she didn't want to be in that and sort of got out of it. Five years later, customs agents come to her door and say, we know everything you did and we've indicted you in a federal court. And and then it took for a variety of other reasons, basically about five years more before they decided to really, uh, you know, sentence her. Wow. And so 10 years after she did this really stupid thing, when she was about 20 years old, she gets sentenced to 15 months in Danbury Minimum Security Women's Prison. Wow. So basically... So your lead is gay? Well, this is what's... No, I mean, what's interesting is that... um, Piper is now married right. to a man okay. and has a kid. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, she is- So it's what, more like a skeleton in the closet. Right. That, yeah, okay. What, you know, those of us at Wesleyan would call lesbian until graduation. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, so it's about, and, and basically what it allows you to do is kind of take the cable audience, like right. the pay cable audience, right. and say, this is what it'd be like if you went to jail. Right. Um, and people are completely fascinated with I'm prison. Da- yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I think it's the thing of that people are most afraid of is right. going to happen to them. Right. Because chances are most of us have done something at some point or right. another. Right. That if we had been as unlucky as Piper yes. was. Yeah. We could be doing time. Right. For it. Right. And looking at like I just saw that movie with the uh, the, the girl from Italy. What's it? Amanda Knox. The, oh, right. Yeah. So I just saw that Lifetime movie, and it is a fascinating thing when you recognize how you could just be abroad and something small blows into, like, this massive, I mean, not that someone being dead is small, but what started out as a journey of just having fun in a year abroad turns into a nightmare. Yeah. And so uh, I like the, I love that world. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, So... It, and so now how many writers will they have on that staff? Let's see. Are right now, have? I think we're basically done with our staffing, and I think there will be six writers besides Genji and I. Great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a big yeah. staff. It is a big staff. We got a, we've got a lot of, uh, of baby writers. Great. And uh, I think it's going to be 
it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're, you know, basically, Genji and I are writing the pilot right now. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and then we're going to break the rest of the order with, oh with the staff. How exciting. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I also love women being at the top. I think that's great. On that note, um, I mentioned to you before the interview, I did want to talk to the fact about the fa- about the idea of you are a gay writer, female who is succeeding at a top level and giving us some insight into what that that experience has been like. Well, I have to say I think there are there are some ways in which it's easier to be a gay woman in this business than it is to be a straight woman. I in have this heard business. that. I have heard um, yeah. There is something that a a a friend of mine terms a gay girl armor. Right. Which is that you, you know, there's never, you never, I mean, I can say anything I want right. to any of the male guy, you know, members of a staff that I'm on. Right. Without, no one ever thinks I'm flirting with them. Right. <laughs> Even though to some extent right. I may be flirting with them. Right. But it's like that it's clear that this is we're playing right Um, right you know and frankly i also don't really i'm not somebody who's bothered if you you know talk about i don't know what i'm wearing right whatever right um as long as you don't mind you know it's like look you can make all the tit jokes you want as long as i'm allowed to make all the dick jokes right right Um, i love it i love it you know as long as it's sort of equal opportunity yes then then there's not a problem so kind of levels the playing ground more yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, ha- house, we're a pretty rough and tumble bunch over there. Yeah. It It is a majority of men that were in that room or is it? Yes. Was it? Yeah. That's what yes. I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think. How many and I have had, like, I've worked with um, a lot of female gay writers and they've said to me, the ones that have succeeded on a substantial level, that, that there is a very tight knit community uh, as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. I yeah. think there's um I'm not sure that it's necessarily more tight knit than the group of women. Right. Uh, you know, right. at the sort of a an upper level right. group. Women helping women period. It really doesn't come down to whether you're gay or not gay. Right. It comes down to women recognizing the value of helping one another instead of hurting one another. Right. Yeah. Right. I like that. Um, I like, and I also like the idea. Like, what I want everybody to recognize, because I was a mentor in the CBS Diversity, and I'm I'm the writing instructor for Writers on the Verge at NBC for the last four years, is the idea that diversity doesn't just mean the color of your skin. Diversity is a unique life perspective that influences your voice on the page. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that's why it's important to, you know, when you go into meetings or rooms or whatever, that obviously you don't want to, uh, you know, excessively dominate the conversation. But I think it's really I mean, I'm not somebody who has boundaries. Right. Um, And I think that's part of the reason why Genji and I sort of immediately got along is that we're both sort of like, yeah, well, this is the thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. and neither of us gets gets offended, but you know, it'd be open about your experiences. Yeah. Whether it did you grow up in a really religious background, you know, that's something 
I don't understand at right. all. Right. Um, you know, and there's somebody on my writing staff now for Orange who has that. And so I know that she can bring that to the yeah. table. Yeah. Um, so own what your difference is. Absolutely. Instead of hiding it. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're we're all freaks, yeah. right? So, you know. We're all different levels of craziness. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> just, you know, just let it fly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that is fantastic. Okay. Looking at the climate today and thinking back to when you started as a writer, what is some advice you have for writers that are getting started in their writing career? Um, let's see. I think, well, I think join a join a writing group or form a writing group. Give yourself some way that you're getting, you know, consistent feedback that you trust. Um, I now ideally those people understand that their function is to help you tell the story you want to tell, um, which is why you need to have a clear idea of what that is. You know what I don't always like about writers' rooms or groups is when people can't get past the what I do with it. It's like no, no, I don't need to know what I'm not going to do what you do with it. Right. What I'm saying is I've hit this problem. Right. Yes. Let's talk about how we're going to get get past this how problem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's important to remember. It's like the problems with the story are not necessarily what you think the problems with the story are. Unless you're writing that episode, right. then you need that solved. Right. The problems with the story are what your boss right. thinks the problems with the story are. Right. Solve those. The other things that bother you, do it in your fan fiction. Right. You know. Right. Sort it out that way. Yeah. Um, rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. Uh, nobody sees my stuff probably, except for my total inner sanctum people. You don't see it before it's a fifth draft. Right. Um, oh, I don't think anyone has ever said that, and I love that. Um, That's and, an excellent piece of advice. And get your story right. Yeah. Get. I used to, because I'm not particularly fast. Right. And I've never been a speed demon. Right. I don't think I ever will be. Right. I used to get really, really nervous about, Wanting to get to script, having time to do the script, and in my experience, it only takes you two weeks to do to do the script if your story isn't right. Right. Um, once you have that, you can get even if you just even if you're writing a scene where every line is going to need to be changed the second time you go through. If it's the right scene, and the beginning and the end of it are the right places, and it does the unit of work yes. you need it to do. Yeah. Then later you can make it great. Right. You can make it funny and twist it up. And but if it's all, it's only a good scene if it's doing the work of the story that it needs to do. That's, yeah. You yeah. Know, it's only a good scene if it does that, and it can only be a great scene if it was once a good scene. Right. Right. I love that. No, those are great. Now looking at your own writing style. Had, that has evolved as well as looking at say many writers that you've worked around like what are some of the things that you've looked at and you've gone oh that's that's a great tool that I need to remember or I like the way the per that person does that like what are some tips I think for writers in the writer's room that will help them get ahead in terms of stuff with story or just dealing with other people? Well, or? actually, I mean, I know the politics of the room, certainly we've talked about a little bit hierarchy and understanding right. your place. 
Yeah. So as far as like if you're like, oh, I like the way that person pitches story or I like the way that that person starts with theme and then moves into character and then like things like that. Like are are there are there certain things that like you looked at, like what did you love about David Shore, let's say? What I loved about David Shore was that he that's a good question. You know, that he he was always very logical and pragmatic about it. And I think one of the things I got from him was just just take it one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, you just go along and you fix one problem at a time and don't uh, and don't worry about all the other problems that are behind it. Because if you think about it that way, then I quickly become it's impossible. Right. 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 but if you just go at it one and and also to really, you know, deal with your stories separately yeah. and deal do do A, B and C or however many you do. Sometimes on house we have as many as five stories. I would believe it. Yeah. And, you know, you just break them all separately. And yeah. a lot of times, even towards towards the end, when I was working with David, I would give him an outline where the stories weren't woven. Right. Because. Because you were just arcing out each storyline, right? And then, right, and I that's that. how you yeah. know if each yeah. beat really leads to the other, right? And then when they start to inform each other more in the script, it only gets better. Yeah, um, you know, or there are conflicts, yeah. and you straighten that I love out. That. But it, you know, the sure is he in many ways. I mean, he's obviously he's not a Vicodin addict, right? Uh, right. He has a successful marriage and is a great oh, dad. That's so great. So he's not. He's not full house. Right. But there's a lot of house yes. in him. Yes. And so it's all about logic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was that was put beautifully. I love that. Well, I have to say, I love so much of what you said. I mean, I think I think the idea, like when I look at it summary wise, is the idea of of understanding your place in the writing process, the idea of clarity and simplicity the idea of arcing out story, the idea of writing log lines, and and the idea of of not attaching and being willing to let go of something that doesn't move plot forward. I I think that is all fantastic. And with that, I want to thank you so much Absolutely. for joining us. My it's pleasure. Been a pleasure having you, and I'm very excited for you. But your new show, tell us premiere wise. We don't know okay. uh, for sure. We're going to start shooting probably middle of September. Great. Uh, and then it'll be on um, sometime in 2013. Right. And hopefully the, right. the world is yearning for women in prison. All right. Love it. We will. And I will mention it when, when it is out. I will definitely promote it. That's Great. Because it, it sounds fantastic. And this is Jen Grisanti. I am going out with Liz Friedman. Um, who Don't tell my wife that. Ah! That's not. I thought of it as soon as I said it. That's hysterical, (laughs) honey. That's not. It's not what's happening. (laughs) This is Jen Grisanti, and I. I'm gonna word it better. And I want to thank Liz Friedman for joining us today on the Storywise podcast. And I have a few short announcements about my company. Coming up, I will be teaching the class writing the TV pilot at the Great American Pitch Fest on June 2nd. 
My uh, Friday night drinks actually in June uh, is going to be at the Pitch Fest in Burbank at the Marriott. Um, so you can look at the uh, www.pitchfest.com website and sign up for that. And then in June, I'm going to be doing the TV Writers Summit in London, um, June 24th, the weekend of June 24th and June 25th. And then I am going to be going to Chicago, August 4th through the 12th and speaking there and being part of the UFBA. So if you are a writer in Chicago and are interested in working together, please contact me at jennifer at jangrisanticonsultancy.com. And uh, I'm very excited that we, the TV Writer Summit is also gonna be going to Australia in September. So if you are a writer in Australia, we will be there the weekend of September 8th and 9th and the weekend, the following weekend, I think it's the 15th and 16th. And uh, we will be at Sydney and Melbourne. So hopefully we will see some of you listeners there. I am looking forward to it and I want to thank you all for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic.